All right, today we're going to talk about heeding God's instructions. Amen? Heeding God's instructions. And we're going to read from the book of 1 Samuel, chapter 15, verses 10 through 25. This is a familiar chapter. So once again, 1 Samuel 15, verses 10 through 25. Then came the word of the Lord unto Samuel, saying, It repenteth me that I've set up Saul to be king, for he is turned back from following me and hath not performed my commandments. And it grieved Samuel, and he cried unto the Lord all night. And when Samuel rose early to meet Saul in the morning, it was told Samuel, saying, Saul came to Carmel, and behold, he set him up a place and is gone about and passed on and gone down to Gilgal. And Samuel came to Saul, and Saul said unto him, Blessed be thou of the Lord, I have performed the commandment of the Lord. And Samuel said, What meaneth then this bleeding of the sheep in mine ears, and the lowing of the oxen which I hear? And Saul said, They have brought them from the Amalekites, for the people spared the best of the sheep and of the oxen to sacrifice unto the Lord thy God, and the rest we have utterly destroyed. Then Samuel said unto Saul, Stay, and I will tell thee what the Lord hath said to me this night. And he said unto him, Say on. And Samuel said, When thou wast little in thine own sight, wast thou not made the head of the tribes of Israel, and the Lord anointed thee king over Israel? And the Lord sent thee on a journey and said, Go, and utterly destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they be consumed. Wherefore, then, then did thou not obey the voice of the Lord, but didst fly upon the spoil, and didst evil in the sight of the Lord? And Saul said unto Samuel, Yea, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord, and have gone the way which the Lord sent me, and have brought Agag, the king of Amalek, and have utterly destroyed the Amalekites. But the people took of the spoil, sheep and oxen, the chief of the things which should have been utterly destroyed, to sacrifice unto the Lord thy God in Gilgal. And Samuel said, Hath the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to hearken than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Because thou hast rejected the word of the Lord, he hath also rejected thee from being king. And Saul said unto Samuel, I have sinned, for I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord and thy words, because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. Now therefore I pray thee, pardon my sin, and turn again with me, that I may worship the Lord. Hallelujah. Heavenly Father, in the precious name of Jesus, we praise and thank you, Lord, once again, for the precious privilege of partaking of your word. And right now, we thank you. We give you glory, honor, and praise, Father, that you would speak it to our lives and hearts today. Father, as we go through various situations, whether it's trials and tribulations, whether it's good times or bad, we thank you right now, Father, that you would speak into each one of our minds. And as we need it, let your word come back to our mind and to our spirits. Father, to govern our emotions, to govern our perceptions, to govern every aspect of our lives. And as we will walk in obedience to your word, Father, we thank you that you would 
bless us in every opportunity and allow us to be a blessing to other people. We also praise you, Father, in the times that we have gone astray, as soon as we will repent of our wrongdoings and our transgressions, Father, that you would forgive us and that you would realign us and set us back on course for the blessings and the, the umbrella of your protection. And we just give you the glory, the honor, and the praise, Father, for these things. In the precious name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Hallelujah. All right, as I said, we're talking about heeding God's instructions. And there's several things that you'll see here. Uh, Saul, who was basically somebody that didn't have a lot of self-confidence, even though he towered above the people in height, uh, he basically was selected to be king because the nation of Israel, trying to be like everybody else, said, hey, they've got kings, we're just led by God. For some reason, that wasn't good enough. They wanted to have a public figurehead, a person at the helm that they could basically be like everybody else and have somebody that was established as a human being, as a leader of that nation. So God, really against his wishes, gave them what they desire. He said, okay, you don't want me to be your king? I'll give you a human king. So Saul became king, but even though he became king, there were still certain attributes that he had that were problematic. One, as we see from the stories, that he was a people pleaser. And then as we know with David, he was also somebody that could be uh, feeling insecure about himself, jealous, and even murderous against somebody else that he saw as being a threat to him. So Saul had some personality issues or quirks that were a problem. And as we saw here, there are times where you can be doing things and you can hear the voice of God clearly. He tells you to do something, but if you allow your emotions or your quirks or your your vices, your greeds, your lust to get in the way, you can actually deceive yourself into saying, I have fully obeyed the word of the Lord, and yet everybody around you can see, man, you ain't even close. Because we see here... Saul, Samuel was coming to meet with Saul, and the first thing out of Saul's mouth, even before Samuel could say, why, why I'm here, he says, I have performed the will of the Lord. No, you didn't. <laughs> what kind of definition do you have? He said, totally destroy the Amalekites. Kill all of them. And in the midst of him saying, I have obeyed the Lord, he actually said, I have kept the king Agag. Did God say, keep destroy all the Amalekites except for their king? He said, destroy the Amalekites. And as a matter of fact, if you're going to keep anybody alive, why would you keep the king alive? Let the, let the grunt stay alive. Let the women and children stay alive. You're going to let the person that's in charge of the nation be alive? That's like during the, the days of the Cold War, if uh, we let Khrushchev say, stay alive when the United States bombed Russia. I'm saying if we had. Of course we didn't. <laughs> Well, you don't keep the figurehead on top. You take him out first. And then maybe you say, we'll spare the rest of the people. So if anything, his whole logic was flawed and idiotic when you really think about it. But that's what happens a lot of times. When you get outside the will of God, you do some stupid things. Amen? We see also that he told them that I want you to wipe out not only the king and the people, he said destroy all their animals and all their possessions. And he said, oh, we did it all. We performed the word of the Lord. And yet Samuel says, why am I hearing sheep in the background? <laughs> so even in the midst of him saying, I have performed the word of the Lord. I have done God's will. I am totally obedient before God. Samuel's like, the whole time you're telling me this, I'm hearing in the background the very fact that you didn't do anything that God told you to do. Amen? 
So anyway, we're going to look at some principles that the Lord gave me out of the study. And what we could do is not only look at it historically, but also say, are there some areas in my life where I may be off course? Maybe I'm telling myself, I have obeyed the word of the Lord, but everybody around us can say, no, I hear some sheep. <laughs> I hear some sheep. <laughs> and you're just thinking, I'm 100% on course. I'm totally being at God. And everybody around you saying, man, the sheep all over the place. <laughs> you just dumb yourself down, blinded yourself, stuff your ears so you can't hear them. Amen. So the first thing we're going to look at is the fact that God, in the first part of this, said, it repenteth me that I have set up Saul to be king. Just think about that. God is perfect. God is pure. God is undefiled. God is totally, thoroughly perfect and holy. Yet God says, I had to repent. Wow. Not repent as in sin, but God said, I made a decision. And because of the way in which I see Saul conducting himself, I am now sorry that I ever placed him on the throne. As we're looking at our situations, have we placed God in a situation where he says, I've established you to be in this position. I've opened up the door for you to be in this place. And when I place you in that position, that opportunity, that situation, that relationship, when I gave you those material things, I was looking at it as you serving me faithfully and doing my bidding perfectly. But now that you're in that place, I see you're not doing it. You're off on your own. You're a lone ranger. You're an island unto yourself. It's about you, yourself, and I, and you forgot me. And now I, God, am now repenting for the fact that I bless you with that situation. Ouch. Is God feeling like repenting that he put us somewhere? <laughs> it really comes down to commitment. Commitment. How committed are we to God? See, everybody wants the role. <laughs> everybody wants the situation. Everybody wants the material things and the treasures of this world. Everybody wants to feel like I'm the one that's chosen or should be chosen to have that position. And God, we're so easy to say, give it to me, give it to me, give it to me. But are we really fully committed to God that if he places us there, we'll not only do what we're, we're supposed to do in that position or conduct ourselves as we're supposed to conduct ourselves, but are, can we do it in such a way that we still keep God at the forefront of the situation? It's one thing to vision it, but what is the reality when we get to the situation? Are we doing it fully under the unction of God's spirit? And here's the thing. Sometimes we even get into the position, and when we start off, we are doing everything according to the will of God. But are you doing it consistently? Are you doing it over the course of the long run? It's very easy for you in the moment of being gracious. God has blessed me with this new position. Thank you, Jesus. So the first month, we were just so in, in love with God. The violins are playing. We're bringing God a bouquet of flowers in the spirit every day. I just thank you, and I just appreciate you, God. But as things become status quo, as you've been in that thing half a year, a year, maybe two years, do you still have that same level of devotion and commitment to God where you're still going in every day like, oh, it's just a love affair between me and God? Or do you start to slack? Do you start to distance yourself? Do you start to compromise? How do you handle that situation? See, it's very easy to get something from day one and stay there, 
but do you do it over the whole stretch? Amen. And see, that is where God may say, when you came in, you were on fire and you were fervent for me, and I'm happy that I put you here. But it's in the long run where God may evaluate you and say, man, did I make, not make a mistake, but maybe I should have put somebody else there. Because look how you're doing this now. Look at your fervency or lack thereof now. Look at your appreciation as opposed to when you first came here. Amen? Hallelujah. So we talk about the first love of God, but do we have the first love of the things that God has blessed us with? Or do they become, eh, just an average thing, this old thing? Do we treat situations and roles and blessings of God the same way we might an old outfit? Amen? You get a new outfit, you're excited. Man, I'm going to look good when I put that on. But two years from now, i got to wear that thing again. Same thing with some of the opportunities and the blessings that God has given us. Do they grow old on us? So now we stop, to stop being as energetic about them as we used to be. Or we stop being so tight in alignment with the Word of God as we used to be. And we start to take things for granted. All right, we're going to look at 1 Corinthians 9, 24 through 27. Know ye not that they which run in a race run all, but one receiveth the prize. So run that you may obtain. And every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. Now they that do it, now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. I therefore so run, not as uncertainly, so fight I, not as one that beateth the air. But I keep my, under my body and bring it unto subjection, lest that by any means, when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. All right, we see here, a lot of people can run a race, but only one person gets the trophy, <laughs> the medallion, the gold star, or whatever. So he tells us here, run so that you may obtain the prize. I remember when I um, did my first black belt test, I used to hate the, the running part at the beginning of it because I always knew that since I wasn't natural at, at jogging because I don't like jogging, I knew that the pace of the jogging was always going to be harder for me because what would happen is I knew without a shadow of a doubt I can run the five miles. I was like, I could do that. That's not a problem. But my issue always was the pacing of it because when we would start out, there were some people that jogged every day. We had people there, this man and his son, they jogged at least 10 miles a day. So they could pretty much start off every pace, and because they were used to running double, they knew they were going to be fine. But for me, who didn't like jogging, to start out with them, and I'm going neck and neck with them the whole way, that pace is actually too quick for me. So by the time we got to the end, they were at their halfway point on the five miles. I was like, I got to push to get over to the, the, the hump because I already extended myself and paced myself wrong starting out the race. Amen? So I always had to shift up and even trying to maybe say, okay, in the beginning of the race, the next time around, I won't try to keep up with them. I'll let them go to he ahead. Then I would see other people and I'm like, well, I got to at least stay ahead of them. So the next thing you know, I'm a step behind those guys in the lead. So it was always a very difficult thing. And it's the same thing with us in terms of our spiritual battles and our consistency and the things that God wants us to strive for. And even if you have got to the point where you've won something or achieved something, you can't get slack because that thing could be taken away from you. Amen? One thing you'll see, for instance, uh, with, with boxers, they win the, the heavyweight world championship. Well, they can't go back for a year just, 
I won the battle. I got the belt. <sighs> Just relax. They might get themselves a week off, a couple weeks off the hill, but next thing you know, they're back in the gym because somebody wants to take that belt. Amen? So you're in a cycle where you've got to keep continually training. And we see here, it says that if you want to master something, you have to be temperate in all things. In other words, you can't be just temperate on the day of the race, disciplined and devoted, know how to start, know how to pace yourself. You need to be temperate in all things. That means on the days where you're racing, you've already trained yourself in such a way that you can endure the challenge of the race as well as the competition and get yourself to the finish line, but... Temperance is not just a day of the race. It's in the days of preparation. When I twist my ankle, how do I keep my, uh, my cardio up so that I can keep running? How do I heal my body on the day that I hurt? How do I get myself out there and train and motivate myself on the days where I don't even feel like being out here? I have to be temperate in all things. Amen? So it's something that we have to do consistently every day of our lives. And as God... It's looking at us and how he's established us. Do we keep ourselves well-tuned and well-trained on a daily basis, or do we slack? It tells us here, I therefore so run, not as uncertainly. In other words, he said, I ran the race with God with a plan of action, with a mindset, with a training and a disciplinary um, mode of keeping myself top of the line, cream of the crop, a lean, mean fighting machine. He wasn't just out there walking his race with God and saying, I'm not thinking about the things I'm doing or the consequences, or I'm not looking at the principles and the perception of God in this. He's basically saying that every day that I'm out here, I'm keeping all these things in, in my mind. And he's saying, as I make decisions, I'm making sure that anytime I could deviate off course, I beat myself back under subjection so that I keep myself on a straight and narrow. So he was in a continual pattern of training and retraining himself, and he never took things for granted and said, I've arrived, I'm a champion, so God has nothing else that he needs to teach me. Amen? I think I shared before, I remember when I played basketball down in Greensboro uh, the first year in college, and um, at the end of all of our practices, he would make us run suicides. And he said, the last person that, that in line at the end of the suicide, you got to run some extra suicides. So I was like, All right, I ain't going to be last. I'm going to try to be first. But I can tell you one thing. I might not be first or second. I will not be the last. And I don't care how hard he pushed us. I don't care how hot the day, the day was when we practiced. I don't care if we practiced twice a day, once at 5 o'clock in the morning and then at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. I don't care how tired my body is. I guarantee you. Brian Fox will not be the last man standing in this race because I ain't running any extra laps. Amen? So we would get to the end of the practice. He would push us and do all kinds of drills and suicides and stuff like that and free throw shooting and, and things like that. And finally we get to that last race. And the one day the coach came over to me. Well, actually the assistant coach came over to me. He said, Brian, I, let me tell you something. And I was like, what? He said, you know when we run at the end of practice? I was like, yeah. He said, do you realize that you should be first every day? But he said, you're doing something that is, is very wrong in terms of how you run. I was like, what do you mean? He said, well, it's probably some of the physical exhaustion wearing on your body. But he says, you're running. He said, your arms are all over the place. He said, sometimes you're moving your head side to side. He said, you may not even know you're doing it. He said, but 
you're wasting so much energy in terms of how you move your arms while you're running and how you're turning your head that you should be first every time. So he, he starts showing me, like, keep your arms locked and keep your head straight. And next you know, it's just like I would win some days, but after I started following that, I was winning a lot more days. I didn't win every day because some days it's just like I don't care about being first. <laughs> I'll, be, I'll set up for number two or three. But on the times where I really want to push, you know, I might have got beat, but it's like he crossed and my foot was the next one after his. So I was like, you going to get a challenge today. And it was just by me knowing how to discipline, keep the arms locked. And it's the same way with us spiritually. God wants us to be disciplined. He wants us to be mindful. He wants us to look at consequences. He wants us on the good days and the bad days to stay focused and attentive to his decisions and his perceptions and his standards so that we don't get ourselves off course. And like I said, we don't want to be in a place where God says, I'm now repenting that I even put them there in the first place because now they went from being so energetic before they got it. Oh, I'm so fired up. I'm so motivated for God. I'm so fervent for the things of God. And now I gave it to them. They're a bunch of slackers. Look at them. (laughs) That's one thing I always had a problem with too at work. You know, people that get the job and then you're busting your tail trying to get stuff done and take the company to the next level and they're just sitting there playing solitaire, on the phone all day. You tell them about something like, hey, this is critical. We need to get this done. Yeah, yeah, I'll get to it. I can't stand people like that. Amen? Slackers. But see, God sees that some people in his kingdom kingdom may be slackers. May not necessarily be slackers in terms of the things of this world system, your job responsibilities and things like that. You might dot the the I and cross the T, but God may say, you're still not doing it the way I discipline you to do it. You're a slacker in terms of the things of the Spirit. And because of that, I'm repenting of the fact that I put you there. That's a sad thing. That God would give us the opportunity to place us there, and then we would take God for granted to the point that and that's the thing. He rejects us because he's seeing that we're rejecting him and how we're appreciating and responding to the situation. Amen? All right, so the next thing we will look at, Saul was approached by Samuel. And as I stated, upon seeing him, Saul said, I have performed the word of the Lord. <laughs> I have done God's bidding. He said, I have performed the commandment of the Lord. So he basically said, everything is hunky-dory. I'm just so obedient to God the Father. But we see that Samuel's immediate response was, if you have performed the commandment of the Lord, why am I hearing the the bleeding of the sheep? So we have to ask ourselves, as we're evaluating responding to God's leadership of our lives, as God has spoken to you, said, I want you to do this, or I've commanded you to do that, or I've opened this door for you for this situation. Are we doing the same thing, fooling ourselves about our level of disobedience, or are we truly obedient to God? As I said earlier, when people come and we talk to them and say, hey, God opened this door and I'm being obedient to them, can the people hear the bleeding of the sheep behind us or Can they see by their own discernment that we have fully obeyed the things that God has directed us to do? And that's the thing. Samuel, to Samuel, it was obvious the flaws in Saul's life. And yet the whole time Saul 
couldn't see it. Amen? And that's because he was basically fooling himself. All right, Psalm 26.2 says, Examine me, O Lord, and prove me. Try my reins and my heart. He's asking God to examine him. He's saying, God, scrutinize me. Don't look at me just on the outward, but he's saying, I want you to examine my heart. What is the motive I have? What is my agenda? Is my agenda pure before you, God? Am I on the same page with you, and do I have the same desires, or am I out to serve me and my own agenda? You know, he said, examine me. To test the sincerity of my heart and my mind to see if it's pure before you, God. And then he says, prove me. He's not only saying, I want you to examine me, Lord, but he said, I want you to put me to the test. <laughs> you ever ask God to test you? God, I love you. I adore you. I'm obedient to you. You ever ask God to say, okay, take the hedge of protection off long enough for the enemy to try to attack me to see if I'll still be true to your word? David's basically saying, not only examine me, but he says, prove me. You can put me to the test. Give me a challenge to prove my sincerity before you and how I serve you. And then he says, try my reins and my heart. Wow, try my reins. That reminds me of a, 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 a rider on a horse. Try the reins. First of all, are the reins attached? <laughs> if you're on the back of a horse and you didn't put the reins on properly and you yank on them, you don't have any control of that horse. That horse can go left, right. He can rear up. He can go full steam ahead. Or he could do a nice little gallop. Amen? But if you don't have any reins on that horse, really, you're under the control of that horse, and he could take you wherever he wants to go, at whatever speed he wants, he could do what he wants because you don't have any authority over him. Now, if you do have reins, amen, will the horse stop when you pull on it? Will he giddy up when you get a little tap or a little touch of the heels? Will he go at the speed where you tell him to go? And when he pulls it to the left or the right, does the horse go in the direction where you pull the reins? But the thing that makes it even deeper as we evaluate this, he's saying to God, examine me, prove me, try my reins. He's basically saying instead of me riding the horse, it's like I'm the horse. God, do you have governance over me? So God, will you try my reins? First of all, can you restrict me from what I'm doing? If you pull on my reins, God, will I stop? If you tell me to go left or right, God, do I obey and turn in the direction you're telling me? God, if you, if you say speed up or slow down or warning, ooh, stop real quick, will I stop? Or am I basically a wild stallion or mare that's just going off doing my own bidding? God's a pulling, a pulling, a pulling, trying to stop you from going into danger. You're going off course, and God's trying to bring you back, and you're just still going off course. God, if we don't have any reins on us, we can say, God, why did, I, why did I end up here? But yet, God might say the whole time, I was pulling on your reins, you wouldn't respond. If anything, you're like a wild horse that's bucking. I'm trying to keep you under control, and you're bucking. Amen? <laughs> So we had a choice. Do we want God to examine us? Or do we want to continue fooling ourselves about our level of obedience to him? That word examine, I want to mention that real quick. It means to test objectively. To test objectively. To scrutinize or discipline. 
And just think about that. To test objectively. You know, sometimes you ask somebody, what do you think about me doing this? And because they don't want to hurt your feelings or they're intimidated or they're fearful of getting somebody mad. You can tell somebody what you're doing or what you're about or they can kind of, kind of discern everything. You'll say, oh, what do you think about this? Oh, yeah, well, yeah, that sounds good. The whole time they're like, that fool, I lost their mind. Because they're either intimidated or, or, or scared or sometimes they don't even care. It's like, well, you do that. Yeah, I can't wait to see the <laughs> stuff hit the fan on that one. So sometimes people don't even mean you well and they'll observe stuff, but they won't give it to you straight. So David was basically saying, I want you to examine me objectively. I want you to look at me, be honest and truthful, and come back to me and tell me this is how you're living from my perceptions of you. And the thing is, when God's doing it, we know he's accurate. We may not want to hear it. We may not like it. But if God is, is, is doing it, unlike people who sometimes for whatever impure reason or intimidation purposes won't give it to us straight, no chaser, God will give it to us truly. Amen. But we have to be willing to say, God, tell me about myself. Give it to me real. I don't want this stuff that everybody else is doing. Everybody else might look at me think I'm all that and a bag of chips and I'm so wonderful. But, God, I want you to examine me and you tell me where I really live. What is good about me? What is bad about me? What are my strengths and what are my weaknesses? I want you, God, who can see things that are hidden that nobody else can see. I want you to examine me, diagnose me, and come back to me and tell me here's the truth of who you are. Amen? Hallelujah. But see, the process is not only upon God. We see here, 2 Corinthians 13, 5 through 6, that we have a responsibility as well. Examine yourselves whether ye be in the faith. Prove your own selves. Know ye not your own selves, how that Jesus Christ is in you, except ye be reprobates? But I trust that ye shall know that we, we are not reprobates. So we ask God to examine us, but... If we're in a situation where we're not hearing God correctly because we're off pursuing our own ends, we can't say, well, the only reason I'm in this mess is because God never spoke to me or God never made it clear to me. We see here we have a responsibility ourselves through the word, through prayer, through going through spiritual mentors or advisors. We have a responsibility, as we see here, examine yourself. And that's the thing. If you have a lifestyle in which you're devoted to the word of God and you're studying it, and you're praying, you're truly seeking the face of God for truth, he will give it to you. Matter of fact, Jesus promised, you know, the Holy Spirit. That will be your comforter. He will also be your teacher. He will teach you all things. He will teach you stuff that man can never teach you. Amen? Stuff about yourself, stuff about where you're going. He can give you insight as to things you should be doing that everybody else around you says can't happen, but yet you're called to do it. The Holy Spirit is the great teacher that can speak to you and speak the truth to you in all situations. But we have to have the willingness to listen to him, amen, and to pursue him. One of the things, uh, I have a great relationship with one of my college professors. His name's um, Urban Lejeune. And um, when I was in college at Stockton State, I had this class, um, I think it was like a data analysis class, talking about the structures of computer information and stuff like that. So he basically gave us a bunch of programming projects, and 
we had the whole semester to finish everything, and I think I finished all the programming projects in like two weeks because I really loved it. And I just jumped right in and bam, got everything done. So I came to him, and um, we were just in his office one day, and I was handing over everything, and he looked it all over. And he said, all right. He said, well, I can tell you right now, I can give you an A. You can walk. I don't see you the rest of the semester. He said, because I'm not going to waste time giving you a final in person. He said, you're obviously going to ace that too. So he says, I just give you an A now. I don't see you the rest of the semester, and I won't see you unless you get another class with me. Or we can really push this thing. I say, push on. So he gave me extra assignments. I did w- more work. I pretty much had a locked-in A, completing the requirements of that class. But yet the rest of the semester, the two of I just went through separate assignments that the rest of the class didn't even see. And he just gave me more and more stuff, and we kept pushing. And here we are, you know, almost 30 years later, and I still have a good relationship with him, and we still engage in conversations. And he he came to the funny thing is he came to me about a week ago and asked me if I knew something in terms of computers that I walked him through, you know. <laughs> but I had Colin Trey meet him, and he's like one of the most profound. Colin Trey love him now. They're just like wow, Mr. Herb and his wife they're incredible. So the legacy continue on. But see, the thing is. Our relationship was birthed upon the fact that instead of me just going through the motions or the status quo and here's assignments and don't, and don't go any further once you're done, really the depths of our relationship was based upon the fact that he gave me a challenge. I was like, bring it on, and we kept pushing and pushing and going to new and new challenges, amen? So um, we have a choice. Sometimes you can go through the motions or you can do just what is expected. Or you can say, in God, I know I'm being obedient to you, but you know what? Let's push this a little bit. Let's challenge me. Let's go to another level in you. Let me see if there's deeper, richer things in you that I can learn that I couldn't even consider. Put me to the test. So we have a responsibility. We have a, a right in God that we can not only say, I want you to examine me and I want to examine myself and I want to look at these things that are hidden or these things that are weak points and I want to get through them and get delivered of them. But we could also say, God, I want to go to another level in you. Amen? Hallelujah. So when it's born of a mindset that I don't want to be tested, I just want to go through the motions, or I just want to serve you, God, at the superficial level, but I don't want to dig down deep, you may do okay at the superficial level, But until you get to the place where you want to dig deep with God, where the digging deep can not only dig out the stuff that is hindering you, but also plant in stuff that will root itself down deep and make you that much stronger, until you get to that place, you may never arrive at the place where God says, I can really take you to the greater level and and have you do greater things in me. Amen? So we need to go through that cycle. And the problem I see a lot of times is that even as we saw what saw, we kind of fool ourselves. Oh, I'm okay. Everything's wonderful. But when you look at, look at things, why does it seem like the same problems keep rehearsing themselves and recycling themselves? And you never seem like you ever get over certain things. Yeah, you're just stuck in a rut. Or the things keep circling around because you're living in a certain... I mean, <laughs> it's a new show, <laughs> Stephen King. And right off the bat, when I heard Stephen King, I was like, I ain't watching that. 
But one day I was just bored, and I went on Amazon searching for a product. And because I have Amazon Prime, you get some videos for free that are instant videos. So I actually was clicking around. I clicked that link, and it came up, and it said it was online. I watched it. I was like, oh, I watched the first episode. I was like, oh, this ain't bad. But the whole premise is that there's this whole town that is stuck under a dome, an invisible barrier that they can't get past. And that is the existence for a lot of Christians. Amen? We walk around, we do our jobs, we eat our food, we sleep in our beds, and everything's fine, everything's smooth. Or even the problems we have, they're the same old things. But we never seem to get beyond that barrier. We don't get beyond the outer sides of that boundary, nor do we get above the heights of the boundary. But the problem is, a lot of times the boundaries are stuff that we place there because of our, our refusal to change, to grow, to adapt in the things of God. So I don't believe that God gives us these barriers. I believe they're self-inflicted, self-imposed. Amen? Sometimes they're imposed because of our mindsets. Sometimes they're imposed because of our wounds and traumas from the past. Sometimes they're, in, they're placed there because of our fears. But I believe that if we truly got to the place where we fully examine ourselves, stop playing head games with ourselves and say, oh, everything's wonderful with me. No, it's not wonderful. Because if it was wonderful, we would get to greater things that we've never measured before. Amen? We would not be living in these boxes that we live in. And I'm not talking just to y'all. I'm speaking to me too. There's certain things that we all can say we've been boxed in, limited by, hindered. And God has things that he wants to take us to. Amen? Hallelujah. But it only comes to us truly asking God to cleanse us and examine us and reveal to us those things that are hindering us. And it's also from us having the desire to say, I want to examine myself and keep it real with myself. Amen? Hallelujah. Keep it real and stop fronting. <laughs> if we want to talk about it in terms of modern terms. Spiritual perspective, we could, we could dress right, we could look right, we could say all the right things. We, we know how to raise our hands at the right time. We know to sit down at the right time. We need to do the foot stomp and the hand clapping and the, I love you with the love of Jesus and God is good all the time and, and all the time God is good. We know all that stuff. Amen? But when are we going to get beyond that into the deeper things of God? You know, Pam and I have had conversations even with leaders in the body of Christ. And sometimes we talk to them, and it's just like we can tell as we're engaging them in a conversation that even though they may have the title on the cloth, that, like, what we're saying, like, they're not even getting it. Like, we're, like they're here, and we're here. And I'm not saying that out of pride. I'm saying that out of revela revelation of God's principles and not just black and white and red. I'm talking about concepts that embed in our spirits from warfare and things that we've dealt with. And I can see, based upon that, that they've been in this box, whether it's constructed from their church environment and they never get out into the world to experience anything, but there's certain things that we discern. And then other times, it's, you know, they finally get to the place of, oh, well, I got this fresh revelation of this or like, I knew that 10 years ago. You just getting there? People box themselves in. Amen. But like I said, these box are self afflicted or self-erected we place the domes and boxes there i believe there's no limitation in god if you choose to seek him and grow in him amen we could be physically limited in terms of the amount of growth that we'll have 
But in terms of the things of the Spirit, we could be giants. We could all literally be giants in the Spirit. That's why a runt, David, rosy-cheeked. <laughs> they say David was referred to as rosy-cheeked. You're surrounded by warriors. Who wants to be the rosy-cheeked guy? That's basically you the sissy. You're the, you're the soft guy. <laughs> they, you know, brawny muscles and shields and swords and talking trash. And here comes the guy with the bread and the rosy cheeks. Nobody wants to be you. Amen. But yet he was the one that said, I will take out that giant. Why are y'all sitting here fighting, pushing each other? Or who's going to go out in the battlefield? They probably at that point, they probably fight. And, and Saul the king, he's supposed to be the, the greater, the leader of all the warriors. He's back at his tent like, uh-uh, I ain't got no part of that. So Goliath's sitting there for 40 days. I want to battle your champion. Not one of those warriors, nor the king, will come out in the battlefield. You think it should have took 40 days? Somebody could have been out there on day one. The reason he was out there 40 days is because nobody would respond to the challenge. So he kept taunting him and taunting him and taunting him until the rosy cheek runt that was in an occupation that wasn't even favor said, I'll fight him. Matter of fact, when he said it, they're like, that fool's lost. That fool's on a suicide mission. But what did he do? Took him out. Amen? Why? Because he had the heart, even as we see here, to examine himself, to ask God to speak to him. You know, and he even said he was reminded of things. I remember when I, my bare hands killed the lion and the bear. And the same God that enabled me to have the power to do that will enable me to kill this Philistine. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. So we... <clears throat> have to be in a place where we say, God, I want to examine myself to see, am I in the faith? I want to prove, not only have God proved me, but I want to prove my own self. See, I don't need God to necessarily tell me every little thing that's wrong with me. A lot of times you already know what it is. And see, that's part of the process of us playing games with ourselves, fooling ourselves. Amen? You know, I know one of the things I got an issue with, y'all probably know it, I probably don't Said the wrong thing with y'all already. But there's times where I got to the place where with phone calls or emails and stuff like that, I could say something. Oh, Facebook, good Lord. I would be public enemy number one if I let myself post to Facebook the stuff I want to post in my flesh. Lord. I'm, there'd be like 2,000 people in front of my house ready to stone me with pitchforks and... and <laughs> I'm telling you, because some of the stuff these people, they, they post in a relationship. Oh, well, well I'm done with him. Uh, uh, I see him. I'm going to cuss him out. I say, you ain't going to do nothing. He come over tonight, he'll be in your bed. People talking all this smack, that you know, putting out all these checks that they ain't going to cash. Oh, and when I see her with him, I'm like, no, you ain't. You ranting here because you won't rant there. So I have to actually force myself sometimes, do not post. Because I know the stuff that could come in my brain that could come out. Amen. I even posted something the other day. There's these two women that got lost hiking, right? They got lost hiking. A man rescues them, gives them a ride back to safety. They get in their car, drive, take a wrong turn. Next thing you know, 911, they went into the ocean. And by the time they got there, they drowned. I was like... And in my brain, I'm like, are these the stupidest people that ever existed? But I was like, I got to have a sense of grace because they're gone. But in my head, it's like, y'all about the stupidest people that ever lived. You already got lost hiking. 
you got saved, and then you kill yourself. What is wrong with you people? But I was like, I had to like, Brian, Wusa. <laughs> because I know I could be smart. So what I'm basically saying, to make a long story short, there's certain stuff that God has to speak to me that may not be apparent to me because it's something that's more inner or more hidden or something that is a little taint here, a little taint there that God is working on me or maybe has to step up and deal with me because I'm unwilling and unable to focus and see it for myself. But then there's other stuff like being a wise behind. I don't need God to tell me. I know that's in me. So we got to know when to examine ourselves and when to say, God, examine me. Hallelujah. (laughs) <laughs> All right, we're going to look at 1 Corinthians three, eighteen through 20. 1 Corinthians three, eighteen through 20. Let no man deceive himself. If any man among you seemeth to be wise in this world, let him become a fool that he may be wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God. For it is written, he taketh the wise in their own craftiness. And again, the Lord knoweth the thoughts of the wise, that they are vain. Hmm. Let no man deceive himself. Why would God put that in the word unless God saw that as a problem? And notice, at the root of things, we saw that Adam, the first man, got this, him and Eve got deceived by the devil into falling into sin. Amen? Satan, the great deceiver, the serpent, the crafty one, the subtle one, deceived them into falling into sin. But here, we don't see the warning of let no man get deceived by the devil. It says, no, let no man. Oh, it doesn't say let no man get deceived by the devil. It doesn't say let no man get deceived by other people. It says let no man deceive himself. In other words, you could deceive yourself. You could think, like I said, you're all that in a bag of chips. You're wonderful. Life is great. I'm obedient to God. Oh, I'm such a faithful and lovely servant of God. And here we see clearly, it says, don't let anybody fool themselves. That word deceive means to cheat, to delude, to seduce, or to beguile wholly. We think about the word seduce, you always think about somebody you know, maybe the opposite sex or something like that, leading you astray. It's saying right here, you can seduce yourself. Wow. Seduce yourself. So you can literally tempt yourself. Think about that. You can tempt yourself. You can entice yourself. You can speak and flatter yourself. Those are the things that are associated with seduction. You can actually allure, you know, lure yourself into doing things that are contrary to God. Amen? So that's why he's warning of this. And matter of fact, he says, if you think you're wise in this world, in other words, you think you've got everything fooled, um, figured out, he's basically telling us, if you think you're wise, you'd, you'd be better off becoming a fool from God's perspective because at least the person that knows they're a fool are humble and saying, I'm empty of knowledge, I need you to give me insight. So God's saying, if you're going to be crafty or wise in your own mindset, if you think you're all that, you think you've got everything figured out, you think you could do it all without me, God's saying you're better off becoming a fool. Amen? Humble yourself. And as I said, 
you may not even realize that you're all off track because we're so focused on the enemy attacking or people taking us off course or people trying to, you know, uh, trying to twist us or manipulate us and control us or manipulate us into doing something off course. When the very time the root of you getting off course or getting yourself outside the will of God is me, myself, and I. Amen. Nobody did it to you. You did it to yourself. So we can literally be our own worst enemies. And God wants us to get to the place where we stop playing head games with ourselves. Amen. I remember I had somebody in our lives uh, years ago. And I was like, this guy is so pathological. I was like, if, if, if they reported on the news today that a spaceship landed on a White House lawn, four aliens came out and said, we want to meet the president. I said, I guarantee you, he said, I met with them first, and I convinced them it was okay to go there. I said, that is a lying man. <laughs> he said, I met his brother. <laughs> I mean, people, and see, here's what you... you <laughs> Here's when you know somebody's delusional. Here's when you know somebody really got issues. You know, a lot of times when the average person lies, you can get a facial expression or body language or something that you say, ah, that ain't right. Or you know you're lying. But there's some people that are so accustomed to it and so psychotic with it that they would be just like, oh, and um, I was I was over in Neptune early this morning, and we had croquettes and um and tea, and we flew back this morning through a wormhole, and he'd be like, "How's your face that straight? I don't discern anything within you that says you're lying. You would probably pass a lie detector test, and you to- you totally believe in yourself. But there's people that are that pathological that they will they." As they say, they believe their own thunder, you know? So there are people that play head games with themselves. (laughs) And unfortunately, in the body of Christ, there's a lot of people doing that. I'm fine with the Lord. I'm this and I'm that and everything's great. It's a shame. I had somebody, um, I actually had to kind of hold myself back the other day. Because somebody said, oh, God help this nation, blah, 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 and all this and that. And I was just like, my first reaction was like, why should God help us? We're not a Christian nation. America's not a Christian nation. We used to be. But when you get him kicked out of government, kicked out of schools, people mocking him online, we got all kinds of shows that are anti-God. How can we say that we have a Christian nation, but then we have the nerve to say, God help us? Why? You ain't supporting me. You're not reverencing me. You're not devoted to me. Amen? Hallelujah. So we have a lot of people playing head games with themselves. And like I said, they are their own worst enemies. And when you, until you get to the place where you stop thinking like, I have arrived and I'm wonderful and I don't have anything within me that needs to be exposed, dealt with, or changed, the cycle is going to continue. Amen? Nothing's going to change. Everything's going to stay the same. The only way you're going to grow is when you say there's something that I can learn from this situation or from this issue. And to be honest with you, I think that's why I've had such a great career as a software engineer. Because I've always been hungry to learn new things and try new things. And there's times at my job where we have stuff that needed to get done. It is totally done. It's working fine. 
But when we have down times, actually go back and say, is there a way that I could do something better? Or is there a way that I can use some kind of new technology to move this into this and make this better than it was using newer technology at the time that I programmed it? I always had the mindset, I want to go back in and, and rehash and reinvestigate and learn something new and see if I could bring more things to the table. Amen? Hallelujah. And that's the way it should be with us from a spiritual perspective. We should not say, I have arrived, I have nothing to change or grow in. We should have the mindset all the time that I may be here, thank you, Jesus, but I still have a long way to go. So I need you to speak to me. I need you to be real with me, God. And I need to, in the areas where I don't even want to hear it, I need to say, God, help me to open up my mind to get out of this stubborn mindset to be an open book that you can write into, that you can speak into, and that no matter how ugly it may seem to be, no matter how much I want to hide it and not even deal with it, even if it's something that is based upon pain from my past, God, I am an open book to you. Write, speak, touch, engage, communicate, filter, do whatever it takes to change me because I don't want to be a person that you could say, I rejected what I'm doing in your life. The same way you rejected me. Because that's the thing. God is rejecting Saul because Saul rejected him. And, that's the th- and, and here's the thing. In all that passage of scripture, our text scripture, not once does it ever say that Saul rejected God. He never said, I rejected God. I have performed the commandment of God. From his perspective, he was walking in honor and obedience. But because he deluded himself... People around him could see that he was off course, but he couldn't even admit it, or he, nor could he discern it. It took a prophet to come to him as a king and say, you're out of order. Amen? And that's the thing. In his mindset on a daily basis, he thought he was in obedience to God. And the whole time, God's looking at him and saying, you rejected me. And I'm about to reject you. So we can sit here and say, everything's fine, but how is God looking at the situation? How is God looking at us? You know, if God was to come to us today and say, and speak to us, would he say, well done, my good and faithful servant? Or we said, you rejected me and I'm rejecting you. And that's why you're not getting ahead. That's why you keep going through the same cycles. That's why you keep struggling with this because you rejected me. And yet we're sitting there the whole time. Wow, I never knew it. Amen. I never knew it. Hallelujah. All right, next thing we look at, when faults are exposed, do you shift the blame? Because when we look at our text scripture, it says, when Samuel challenged Saul's level of, of obedience, his response was, despite his level of authority as a king, they have brought the sheep. And the people spared the things that were not destroyed. Imagine this. He's the leader of the entire nation. He didn't have any problems saying, let's do this, let's build that, let's go here, let's war against these people, let's have a truce with these people. He had no problems being leader over the nation of Israel until the time where it was inconvenient to him to, say, destroy all those things. Suddenly, he's a person that goes from being on the throne and being the head man over the entire nation to, they wouldn't destroy the sheep. Oh, all of a sudden, they're controlling you, king? How convenient. They spared the king they kept the sheep they refused to do this or that last thing i heard i thought he was the king 
and everything he said they were required to do or they could be in prison or executed. But all of a sudden, because it was a convenience to him and his vices and his desires and his evil motives, they, they, they. Everything became a story about they. And the thing is, Saul told him, you have not performed the commandment of the Lord as you spoke. You have disobeyed God. He never said I didn't. He just immediately went into blame-shifting mode. It's because of them. Because of them. And the reality is, if this was an urgent matter in the heart of Saul, he would demand it total obedience among the people. And the thing is, whether he was willing to do it or not, the reality is God established him in that role. God had made him the authority over that nation, and he could try to blame shift all he wants. God was looking at him and saying, no, you should have took charge, and you should have made sure all these things happened. But the reality is there's a level of greed and like I said, people-pleasing, which led him to spare the animals as well as King Agag. Amen? That blame-shifting goes back to the garden. <laughs> Genesis 9, I'm sorry, Genesis 3, 9 through 13. And the Lord called unto Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? And he said, I heard thy voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. And he said, Who told thee that thou wast naked? Has thou eaten of the tree whereof I commanded thee that thou shouldest not eat? And the man said, The woman who thou gavest to me to be with me, she gave me of the tree, and I did eat. And the Lord God said unto the woman, What is this that thou hast done? And the woman said, The serpent beguiled me, and I did eat. Man, Adam went from, This woman is bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh, pulled out of my rib. And when she came out, he's just like, Oh, glory to God. I ain't never seen anything so beautiful in my life. Amen? But as soon as he got cornered in sin, that woman you gave me, it's your fault, God. You made her look that good. You gave her them curves. I ain't my fault. You, shoot, you see what you made for me? Ain't my fault. So Adam blame shifted. He was the first blame shifter. <laughs> he's, he's the first. <laughs> He was the first husband in the doghouse. <laughs> Threw her under the bus. That woman, you, I, she, she, she lost her name. <laughs> she lost her name. <laughs> she went from Eve, the mother of all living, that woman. <laughs> I was like, wow. He threw her under the bus so bad, she lost her name. <laughs> that woman you gave to me. <laughs> She's a fault. <laughs> <laughs> but you notice it says, the woman says, the serpent beguiled me. The serpent deceived me. Adam never said I was deceived. He was doing what he wanted. He just used her as an excuse. And he already had the problem, that he, the, the perpetrator he was going to blame after he took it. He wanted to be his God. He knew what he was doing. He probably sat there the whole time and watched Eve talking to the serpent. Amen. But we see here it says, um, I was afraid because I was naked and hid myself. And that word naked in the underlying Hebrew, it comes from a root Hebrew word that means subtle but in a, or clever but in a negative sense. Amen? And the crazy thing is the serpent, when you look at the word serpent, the serpent comes from a word that means crafty and, and subtle in a negative sense. So 
Adam is really telling God that the same nature that the devil has, subtle and clever, but in a negative sense or ungodly sense, he's basically saying, I've got the same nature too. So see, we don't want to be real with yourself and you don't want to be real with God. You take on the crafty nature of the enemy himself. See, God only operates out of spirit of truth. If you try to be deceptive, to blame shift, to play the game, a total line, and straddle the fence with God, God said, you're not walking to me, spirit of truth. He said, now you're acting like your father, the devil. And see, we could be saved and redeemed in Jesus Christ when we're children of God, but that doesn't mean that even though you have the temple of the Holy Ghost inside of you and you're now the children of God, that you can't choose by your own soulish man and your will to say, I am a child of God, but yet I want to choose to operate under the, the traits or the attributes of the enemy. Amen? So you'll see heaven because you're redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. But you could be hindered, roadblocked, strapped down, overcome, oppressed, despondent, <laughs> in despair, and have strongholds in your life because you choose, instead of walking in spirit and truth with God, you choose that I'm going to allow myself to live with some of the attributes of this world system or from my original father, which was the devil. Amen? So that's why God says we got to keep it real. Amen? We got to be willing to expose ourselves. We got to stop playing head games and mind games and say, oh, everything's good in Zion. No, no, it ain't. You keep having the same stuff coming back to rear its ugly head time and time and time and time again. Something ain't right. Amen. And yeah, it may not always be you, but you need to pray and find the root of that thing. It might be something that comes from your generations or somebody is sending a tax to hinder your ministry. It could be that. I'm not saying you're always in sin. But what I'm saying is if something keeps repeating itself, there's something going on in the spirit that you need to say, God, reveal it to me so I can war against it and get that thing out of my life. Amen? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And if we see, as we have a situation here, well, we have a, a situation where you are willingly or have been seduced into going into stuff. The worst thing you could do is say, that woman you gave to be with me. That man you had me in a relationship. Those people that coerced me or intimidated me or the peer pressure that I feel. The worst thing you could do when God is trying to expose something is try to find somebody else to blame. And the thing is, it ain't going to ever work. All roads are going to go back to you. And see, the thing is, this, the mistake that Saul made... When he had the time to repent, he literally could have kept his kingdom. God doesn't send somebody to you, a prophet, to say, I'm automatically pulling you out. God comes to you, whether it's through the word or through his Holy Spirit, God always comes to you first to say, repent. What happens after that is up to you. Because, see, if you look at the Bible, David sinned, the prophet was sent to him, Nathan. He told him a story. About a man who, poor man, had sheep taking his stuff. And all of a sudden, David gets mad and says, who is this man? I'm going to avenge this situation. Nathan's like, y'all, you are the man. Uriah, you took his wife. You slept with her and got her pregnant. Then you got him killed. You are the man that stole the innocent man's sheep. What is David's reaction? Oh, my God, I repent. I repent. And what is, as a matter of fact, before he said it, he says, because you have done this wickedness, he said, evil it's going to come upon your kingdom. He said, all these things and murder and all this stuff's going to come upon your kingdom. David said, I repent. I'm sorry. I have sinned and transgressed against God. Samuel immediately said, you will keep your kingdom. Same, similar scenario. He comes to Saul. 
You have, trans- you have not obeyed the word of the Lord. You have transgressed against him. The people, your king will be ripped from you. What was the difference? David repented. Saul blame shifted. Amen? So that's why it's important for us when God is speaking to us and saying, you need to get this right. This isn't correct. Your motive is wrong. Your mindset is not godly. Instead of us blame shifting, oh, this or that, or they did this to me, or all these different things, God, I repent. And then God can take the, 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 the transgression off of us, and God can move us into greater things. See, we keep going through the cycle of, oh, it's always somebody else's. No. It's me, myself, and I. It's like that song says, it's me, it's me, it's me, oh, Lord. Standing in the need of prayer. No, it's me, it's me, it's me, oh, Lord. I'm the mess. I'm the problem. Amen? Hallelujah. So stop blame shifting and start owning up to it. Hallelujah. Genesis 18 shows us another thing. Verses 17 through 19. And the Lord said, shall I hide from Abraham that thing which I do? Seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation. And all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. For I know him, that he will command his children and his household after him. And they shall keep the way of the Lord to do justice and judgment. That the Lord may bring upon Abraham that which he has spoken of him. So the Lord himself looked at Abraham. As we know, Abraham made mistakes too. He lied. Oh, she ain't my sister. Oh, she just with me. <laughs> oh, she's my half-sister. <laughs> he forgot the part about, no, she's, uh, she's my wife. So it got to the point where a man's actually about to take her and make him his wife. And that's a scary night, but he had a dream from the Lord. I'm about to kill you. He's like, what do I do? He said, you're about to take my servant's wife. I didn't even know she's my wife. <laughs> I mean, his wife. He said, all right, go to him. Basically, you'll get the situation right. He'll pray for you and everything will be good. Because, you know, basically, I prevent you from going into her in the first place. So he went in and said, why would you do this to me? So long story short, Abraham got the situation right, and that situation was averted. Then we see the situation, which actually is still tearing up the Middle East to this day, Hagar, Ishmael, and then his natural children that were born in wedlock, that's a whole mess that's still 2,000 years later going on in the Middle East and actually will never end before they return to Jesus. That's the only thing that's going to fix that, you know, out-of-wedlock birth, (laughs) you know, situation. But the fact is, he went through all these cycles of doing stuff the wrong way, but then when he got to the place in God where he had the faith to truly serve him and not only serve him faithfully, but now to be a leader of his household, God says, because I see that he will command his children and his household after him, that I'm going to bring upon him all the promises that I've commanded. Amen? And these are promises that have now gone on through multiple generations. Amen? We are actually adopted into the promises of Abraham. Amen? Because through Abraham, it eventually gets to David and it goes down to Jesus who redeemed the entire world. And we are, in the book of Romans, um, given the spirit of adoption into the Abrahamic blessings by which we cry out, Abba, Father, we can say, God the Father is our Father as well. That comes through the Abrahamic covenant. Amen? So God extended, basically restored mankind through the lineage of Abraham. And we're receiving the blessings of that. But it goes down to the fact that Abraham screwed stuff up miserably 
But then he came to a place of re- repentance and faith where it was accounted as righteousness before God. So you may mess up. You may screw things up royally. But if you have the heart that you get yourself right with God, a screw up, a mishap, a stumbling, it's never something that's going to destroy your life and leave a negative legacy behind. God will restore you and will, as we see here, command his blessings upon you if you take ownership of your situation. And when you're in charge of other people's, when you take leadership and say, we're going to do this the way God has commanded us to do. I'm not asking you. I'm not begging with you. We're going to do it the way of the Lord. Then God can bless you. Because we see here, it says, I basically trust Abraham to command his children and his household after him. Think about that. He says not only to command his children, but he says it will command, he will command his household. That included his wife, Sarah, but also he had servants. So he basically said, I don't care if you were blood connected to me or not. If you associate with my household, this is the way we do it. Amen? And because he forced them all to do it, God blessed all of them. But we see here, it also basically says that in order to stop havoc or sins and transgressions from taking control over your family, if you're in a position where God has made you leader, you have to be accountable for their spiritual condition and take ownership of all those who are under your watch spiritually. Amen? Hallelujah. So we're basically saying, we don't have the luxury of blame shifting. We do have the luxury of walking in the power and authority of God to make sure that our, each one of us personally, as well as our households, are walking in obedience to God so we all get the blessings. Amen? I like the story of um, Joshua when um, they lost the battle. And Joshua was like going to God, and he's like, God, we just lost a battle. We've never lost. You're going to allow your name to be blasphemed. He's like, I ain't worried about my name. Y'all sinned. Joshua's like, what? I never sinned. I'm the man that when Moses went up the mountain, they said nobody else could even touch the mountain or they'll die. I walked right up the mountain because I had such a spirit attuned with Moses that it was as if another Moses was walking up the mountain. How are you going to tell me I sinned? <laughs> I mean, he's literally asking God, Who you, you can't tell me I sinned. I know I didn't sin. <laughs> but he said, you sinned. Because Achan, who's under your sphere of influence and authority, because Achan sinned, you sinned. And you saw Joshua's attitude. He said, oh, no, we ain't having this. Get all the people together. Let's draw lots. We're going to find out who the problem is, and we're going to deal with it. And they went through that process. They found out that was Achan's household that did it. He cleaned house. And I ain't talking about a pat on the wrist. I ain't talking about y'all going to move out of town. I'm talking about y'all going to die today. He took him out because he's like, I am not the one to lose battles. So he resolved that situation, and he resolved it quickly. He took accountability for it. Amen? And here's the thing. He wasn't the one that did it, but because he was the leader, he said, I'm accountable. I'm going to handle this instead of blame shifting. Well, why are you punishing me? Punish Aiken. See, that would have kept the cycle going. God probably would have said, oh, you're the leader. You don't want to take accountability. You just want to blame him. Okay, your nation's going to continue to get sifted as weak. Because, okay, I can take care of Achan, but who's going to be the next Achan? And the one after that, and the one after that, and the one after that. He said, no, you take accountability. So when Joshua took accountability, he wiped out Achan and his family. It not only established him as a person who was willing to take accountability, but it also, you know, 
put the word out, you mess up. Joshua, going, we all answer to Joshua. We better handle our business or we're going to be aching part two. Amen. So it's, it is still fear in everybody else that, oh, when he tells us, when our leader tells us this is how we need to conduct ourselves, we better do it or else. See, in this day and age, we don't have enough or else's. We have too many people that are limp-wristed leaders, so scared to, you know, offend somebody or, or step on toes. And, you know, and, and the thing is, there's a way in which you do it. You don't necessarily have to be mean-spirited and, and nasty all the time. I have, people, I have five people working for me. This one person, uh, I think it's about three, three or four months ago, I finally had to release him because uh, he wasn't basically living up to my standards in terms of documentation and coding and testing. And I kept giving him a chance at the chance. And I was like, let me walk you through this. And I did everything to try to, like, get him up to snuff. And it seemed like he was getting worse. So finally I talked to the, his manager at the, the company we consult from, and we agreed we're going to give him another month. So I was like, all right. So we went the next month, and it kept getting worse. And there's times where if you're not as, as, as gifted or you're younger and less experienced, I'll work with you and bring you up and do a little more hand-holding. But when you already know that you've been screwing up royally, and yet every day when 5 o'clock hits you out of here, and then you not only left, but you left a problem that now I'm getting a phone call or something like, this is, there's errors on the site. Like, what do you mean? Oh, and I hate to say <laughs> the guy's name was Tosho. They actually started having the phrase, they were like, oh, it was Toshoed. If something got screwed up, they actually, it became like, oh, it got Toshoed. I was like, wow, <laughs> that ain't right. But it was unfortunately accurate. So I finally had to let him go. And then there's been other times where people haven't done certain things the right way. But once again, I, I, I follow the same cycle. Okay, well, why did you do that? You know, because there could be a reason why you thought it was relevant. Okay, in that case, I let it go. But do it this way the next time. Then there's other times it's like they're off left field. No, don't do it this way. Do it this way. And I tried to do the cycle. And, you know, there might be a couple times where they may forget and you got to kind of nudge them back. And at a certain point in time, you expect, okay, they're going to align themselves with the perceptions and the standards, and now they will start doing it. And the new people I have now, they seem like they've fallen in line pretty quick. You know, a couple things, times here and there, I say, well, why would you do that? Or sometimes they'll say something like, well, there was this problem last night and um, on this page and blah, 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 and I waited to like 2 o'clock your time to tell you, like, well, if you know there's a problem, you know it needs to be fixed, just fix it. Don't let it sit there for eight hours. Fix it. So, <laughs> so it's a process. But the thing is somebody has to be willing to work under the process, and fall under the authority. Amen? It's the same way with us and God. Amen? Hallelujah. So if you're in a person that's under the leadership, you need to position yourself to align yourself under it. And if you are the leader, instead of blame shift and say, oh, that person messed up, that person, no. Take ownership and say, this is the way it needs to be done. Tell the person in love, you got to get your act together and bring everything in alignment with God. So the problem is a lot of people are so busy finger-pointing, and we see this in organizations all the time. You know, I think it's a pr problem in politics. It's a problem with our educational systems. You know, people are so busy exerting their energies with finger-pointing and blame-shifting that nothing is getting done. Amen? And if more energy was placed on taking ownership and responsibility and having accountability, we'd be exploding in terms of the great things that could be done. 
All right, I'm going to share one more passage of Scripture, and then we'll continue on next week. Psalm 51, verses 1 through 6. To the chief musician, a psalm of David, when Nathan the prophet came unto him after he had gone into Bathsheba. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness. According unto the multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. Against thee, thee only, have I sinned, and done this evil in thy sight, that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest, and be clear when thou judgest. Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, thou desirest truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden part thou shalt make me to know wisdom. Hallelujah. So we see here, and this is why God, this is something when God talks about you, and he says, David, he's a man after my own heart who shall f- fulfill all my will. That was one of the statements that God himself said about David. And we know David had lust problems. We know he was a mess in some areas. But one thing we do know about David is when he messed up, sometimes he didn't get it. We saw the situation with Bathsheba, you know, taking her in and getting her pregnant and killing Uriah. He was living and living in luxury, it wasn't like sitting there grieving or feeling guilty every day. So God had to send in Nathan the prophet to teach him a lesson about himself and say, hey, you got somebody higher than you that you have to answer to. But we see that the nature of David was such that when sin was exposed, whether he knew it himself, and as he did in the Psalms a lot of times, create me a new heart because I, I hate them with a cruel hatred. I want to dash your head with the stones. There was times where David said, I ain't right. Lord, cleanse me. But there's other times with Nathan where God had to come expose the situation to him. But whenever David was aware of something, what did he do? He repented. Amen. Even the situation with that boy, he went and prayed and prayed for God to spare his life. And after God, you know, the decision was made that he was going to perish, he, he worshiped the Lord, got up, he ate after, I think it was seven days, and he kept it moving. He said, God's decision is made. I'm going to sit here and whine or soak in my misery. I'm going to go minister to my wife. And the thing is, he repented. She got pregnant again and had Solomon. And they said that God loved Solomon. Amen. So you could get stuff right. But the thing is, instead of blaming, the, blaming others, you must be willing to openly confess your sins. Amen. And to ask God to cleanse you. We see here it says, he desires truth in the inward parts. See that stuff coming out of your mouth? The things we're professing? That's just the lighthearted, superficial stuff a lot of times. But God desires truth in the inward parts. That's the stuff that nobody can see but you. Amen? There's certain stuff that we have within us, certain stuff that pulls on us, certain stuff that drives us. Like I said, sometimes it's due to emotional issues. Sometimes it's baggage or trauma. It's not always sin, but we might have different attributes that drive us, amen, that are hidden down deep. Sometimes things that we don't even know ourselves, so we're not even able to truly acknowledge them. But yet God can see those things, and if we're open to him and saying, God, speak to me or examine me in my inward parts, expose that stuff, bring it out to the surface so I can repent of it or be healed of it, God can do that work. But we have to be honest with God, and he'll do the rest. Amen? Hallelujah. We're going to start with that today. We'll continue on um, next week. Amen? Hallelujah. The Lord wants to do a work in us.
as we would heed his instructions. And like I said, instead of playing games, we need to keep it real. Instead of fronting, we need to take it to the top and say, open me up, get this gunk out, and put some good stuff in. Amen. Hallelujah. Just reminded that yesterday I was, I, was, I was outside cutting some branches. This is one particular branch in my um, backyard. I was literally cutting it with a chainsaw. And I, as I was cutting sections down, ants were coming out. But when I, first, when I first grabbed the branch, I didn't see anything. It was just a solid branch. As I was cutting it, I saw there was a hole inside and it was populated with ants. See, sometimes you don't know that you're infested with something. And you got to cut and get in there before you can see the stuff coming out. Amen? Hallelujah. Thank God we serve a great physician, a surgeon that can cut into that stuff. And the thing is, you get cut in the natural, it hurts. It causes pain. Amen? The greatest pain I ever suffered in my life was post-surgical. And the thing is, Sometimes it won't hit exactly when you think. I'm just thinking this now. When I came out of surgery, they were like, what's your pain level threshold on a, a scale of 1 to 10? It's like, zero. They're like, zero? They're kind of like, oh, okay. Because the guy in the next bed, he's kind of like, oh. I was just like, zero. They came back later in the day. Where you at on a scale of 1 to 10, your pain? Zero. You know, my roommate's still having troubles here and there. Um, they came back later. I was like, I was like, I, I hope, I hope I ain't mess you all up. But I was like, zero. <laughs> they said, you don't need no pain medication. I was like, no. I said, I'm fine. I said, well, I've always had a high pain threshold as it is, even as a kid. I said, then years of martial arts, I said, I might be feeling pain, but it just isn't registering because it's not high enough. So I was like, I'm fine. But then this one night, I was like. In bed, unless I got home from the hospital, and then all of a sudden, the closest thing I could like equate it to is like if you've seen the aliens movie, when the aliens pushing and it rips out the person's stomach. I don't know if y'all seen the movie Aliens. Well, I was basically living that scene. I mean, literally, I could look down at my stomach, and my stomach was churning up and down, pushing like it was about to rip out. And what they said it was um, bladder spasms, and they said like. That's actually, they said that the, the women giving birth, they said this is actually even worse than that. You know, and it literally, I literally had spasms so strong pushing up on my stomach that I literally had to press to hold it in. And if they asked me the pain level then, all the other times I said zero on a scale of one to ten, this was a fifteen twenty. And I'm talking about years of having a high pain threshold, years of martial arts injuries, Jabbed in the eye, sparring and stuff. I never let out a grunt. I was literally in my bathroom grunting and pounding the, fo pounding the, fo the floor with my fist in pain. Like, so, in so much pain, I was nauseous. It was like trying to hold back vomiting. I mean, sweating. I mean, something like that. So, surgery, sometimes immediately afterwards or later, you can feel the pain that comes along with your healing. But thank God, in the spirit, when he does it, he actually takes away pain. Amen. He alleviates burdens and pains. He gets in, he cuts, and he can cut deep. But yet, you actually, wow, the pain is going away as opposed to coming as a result of the surgery. That's the incredible thing about God. 
his surgery not only heals, but it actually alleviates pain instead of causing it. Hallelujah. So we praise God for that. Amen. That God will do a work. Hallelujah. So let's all rise and, what do you say? Oh, yeah. I know. No scar tissue. <laughs> praise the Lord. Heavenly Father, in the precious name of Jesus, we thank and praise you, Lord, for gathering us here today. And, Lord, even as we study um, heeding your instructions, Father, first of all, we ask you to reveal to us, is there anything that we've been missing, even fooling or deluding or seducing ourselves into thinking that we've been walking in spirit and truth, that we have been performing the commandment of the Lord, as Saul stated, when others can see that we're off course, or even if we were honest with ourselves, we would see that we're off course. We ask you right now, Father, that if this is the case, Father, first of all, you would um, uh, heal us and forgive us, Father, for missing the mark. We praise and thank you, Father, that even as we saw today in your word, hallelujah, you're not here to um, incriminate us or to punish us or to imprison us, Father. You speak to us, Father, to bring healing and also to make our lives more fruitful. So we praise you, Father, that as you will expose things to us, Father, instead of us blame shifting or trying to pretend that these things don't exist, we thank you, Father, right now that we will fully admit even as David did, that I am guilty, I have transgressed, I have sinned, I have failed you, Lord, and you alone. And, Father, as we repent of that, the same way you restored and extended the kingdom of David and Abraham, we praise you, Father, that you would extend your blessings upon us, Father. Hallelujah. Let none of us have the Saul spirit where we would reject you and cause you re to reject us as a result of that. Let none of us have the Saul spirit and shift the blame, which ends up costing us our inheritance as the consequences of our refusal to, to admit our faults. We just praise you, Father, right now, that as we would admit our faults, Father, hallelujah, even as the word says, as we would confess our faults, you are faithful and just to remove them from, from us. Hallelujah. And we thank you, Father, that you will remove them as far as the east is from the west, that you will bless us, that you would motivate us, guide us, that you would strengthen us to overcome, hallelujah, these weaknesses, Lord. And, Father, it would not only bless us and get us out of the domes or the, the boxes or the areas where we've been bound, but, Father, it would enable us to go into new opportunities and new blessings and prosperity. And also, Father, allow us to be blessing in the lives of others as well. We just praise and thank you, Father, for this. We give you the glory the honor and the praise. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Anybody needs prayer, you know, feel free to, to come.